A good start envisions an end result. Thank you for joining the Bryce Harper Podcast. This is episode 33, and I want to talk to you about the word. If you don't know who I am, man, I have the joint honor of uh, being the father of two amazing daughters, Mary Catherine Jubilee Harper, who is six, and Madeline Brooke Harper, who is two and a half, me and my wife. Um, Sarah Harper have been married for over 13 years now, and we have the tremendous honor of being the lead pastor as a family worship center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And if you don't have a home church and you're in this regional area, man, we would love to have you every Sunday at 3045 Memorial Boulevard, 9 and 11. We have a Hispanic service at 2 p.m. We'd love to have you. And midweek at 630, Wednesday, 630. And um, I want to talk to you. This is from my sermon a couple weeks ago on the Word. When we completed 21 days of prayer and fasting, my vision for the house of our church is to be a place of prayer, worship, and Word. And that shouldn't be a disconnect from our own personal lives of having a life of prayer and worship and Word in communion with God in those three areas. I believe those three areas are critical in the life of the believer in the life of the church as a whole, to be a people in a place of prayer, to be a people in place of his wor- of worship to him, and a people in a place of his word. And I want to just start by just beginning with this. God has created us to implement a greater culture, not imitate current culture. God has created us to implement a greater culture, not imitate current culture. God has called us to be a place or a people of a heavenly culture, not a hellish culture, a loving culture, not a hateful culture, a hopeful culture, not a heartsick culture. And in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, God said, let there be light and there was light. It wasn't like just a light bulb came on, but we know the facts of light and that the speed of light is 186,000 miles Per second. So when God said, let there be light, it was a powerful moment in creation. And ever since then, light has been traveling at 186,000 miles per second. You know, the whole Bible is the foundation of that word. When I talk about the word, I'm talking about the Bible, talking about God as we see it here at, at the church that God has given us. Um, these 66 books, and we believe it to be the inerrant, authoritative word of God, that there's no errors and that it has ultimate authority. And so, and what we see in the, in the Old Testament is, I love Mike Courtney says it like this, the Bible is not a book, the Bible is a library of books. And the Old Testament is categorized in sections of the Bible for theological study, for study of God. Um, and specifically, I want to look at the book of Daniel um, and how Daniel is a book of the Bible in the category of major prophets, along with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Um, those ma- that major just simply means a larger volume, not more important, but just simply a bigger prophetic book in the Bible. And then there's also minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and so on. Those are minor prophets. Uh, But Daniel um, is the most read Old Testament prophet. And actually in the New Testament, Daniel is quoted more than any other Old Testament book. Essentially what the book of Revelation is to the New Testament 
is what Daniel is to the Old Testament. Um, with the exception of Jeremiah, there's no other prophetic book that speaks more about their author. And so what we know about Daniel is this. Um, he was a person of integrity. He was, in he was a person of community, of character, of wisdom, and prayer. So these five things really made up the, who Daniel was. He was a person of integrity, community, character, wisdom, and prayer. And there's obviously New Testament fulfillment of the things that Daniel spoke about, that the coming Messiah would be the rock that destroys all inferior kingdoms. He would be the ancient of days, the son of God, and we would ascribe glory, power, and authority to him, and that he would be this anointed one that would be sent and also cut off um, or sacrificed. Or, um, and the overview of the book of Daniel is really, really interesting. Um, there is a lot about his personal testimony, about history, and then prophecy, near future, distant future. And um, Daniel is one of those last Old Testament prof prophets, followed by Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And as we look at just a survey of the book real quickly before we look into Daniel chapter 1, um, the outline of the language, chapter 1 in the book of Daniel is in Hebrew. Chapter 2 through 7 is in Arama Aramaic. Chapter 8 through 12 is in Hebrew. Aramaic was a, like a layperson, common people language. And then Hebrew was more of an elite academic language. To say all, I'm, I said all that to say this. Daniel pl is placed in this category of major prophets of large volume prophetic literature. But, but, but the makeup of the book is half about history and, and another section about personal story. And then prophecy. And if, Revel if, if Revelation is to the New Testament, Daniel to the Old Testament, what if the prophetic edge of us, the church, is a result of our ability to embrace the truth of God's word, the history, and our per personal testimony? What if the prophetic edge of the, of the New Testament church is... We know who God is. We know the history of God's people. We know what God has done in our own lives. And because of those two things, we can rightly, accurately predict what the future holds. I believe the future of the church is found in being rooted in God's historical word, his current narrative in our lives. And it's those things that will open up a gate to a new future. Being prophetic is much more about what God has done, what he's currently doing. And when we add those two elements together, we will open the gate to a new future. When we know what he has done, when we know what he is doing, we can accurately articulate what he is going to do in the future. Basically, if we know where God has brought us from, we can adequately, adequately dream of where he is leading us to. So right here, I'm going to give you five methods of the enemy and then five methods of the godly. Five methods of the enemy, five methods of the godly. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign, and Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So point number one, five methods of the enemy. The first method of the enemy is this. He's always going to attack. Always. He's always going to attack. Jeremiah 1, 19 says, They will fight you, but they will fail. They will fight you. <laughs> <laughs> the enemy will fight. It's not a matter of if. The enemy will. And I've learned this through 35 years of living on the earth and trying to live for the Lord. He's always attacking. Always. But 
they will fail. For I am with you, says the Lord. I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And when God speaks, it is so. And though Daniel was a victim of war during his time, his faith was not victim to war. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, our faith is stronger than it. No matter what happens, the word of God, the history of God, the personal testimony of what, go, what is going on in our lives um, is not victim to those things. So no matter what's going on, um, God has conquered all those things. Verse 2 in Daniel 1, the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and per- permitted him to take some of the sacred objects of the temple of God. So point, the second method of the enemy is that he will always attack or he will always um, he'll have temporal, we will always have temporal possessions in jeopardy. Sorry about that, <clears throat> butchering that up. Point number two, the method of the enemy is that we will always have these temporary possessions in jeopardy, but we serve a eternal kingdom and an invisible God. I remember back in 2017 when my parents underwent Hurricane Harvey, Southeast Texas, lost a lot of stuff. My parents had rental properties and tons of possessions that was just went nine, 10 feet underwater. And, um, and I remember my mom calling me just being distraught of man, Bryce, me and my, me and your father, we just had all these things saved up for you and, and for your brother and sister. And I just remember responding to my mom, what you have given us, no storm can take away. There should be something in us Something about our faith that transcends temporal things of just, and it's great. The Bible says, hey, save up a fortune for your children's children. You got to do that. But we also should as well remember the words of Jesus. Don't store up for yourselves things that moth and rust can corrupt and destroy. And so our, our, our obsession should be in him, not just in our possessions. So I'll say it like this. Even if we lose our possessions, we can we must never lose our obsession of who he is. And so the third thing um, we see in verse 3, Then the king ordered his chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Again, I'm in Daniel chapter 1, just going verse by verse. The third method of the enemy is to always go after the young generation. Verse 3, we see the chief of staff of Babylonia began to bring in the young men of Judah um, and from the royal families and noble families um, as captives and to begin to indoctrinate them. The enemy is always going to go after the next generation. That's a third method of the enemy. He's always going to go after the next generation. He's always going to pursue them with agendas that are anti-God. The enemy's always going to do that. He's always going to be after our children, our children's children, and always going to pursue them with agendas that are anti-God. Um, and we see plenty of scripture throughout the Bible about, you know, 2 Timothy 2.22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth. Um, Ecclesiastes 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Um, first Peter five, five, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, uh, close yourself with humility toward one another. Um, Jeremiah one, seven, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth for to all, for all to whom I send, you shall go and whatever I command you, you shall 
speak. In verse 4, we see this, right? Select only strong, healthy, good-looking, young men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, gifted with knowledge and good judgment. They are suited to serve in the and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The enemy now, if the enemy really wants to come after the next generation, he's going to have to come after me. Like if the like if the enemy really wants to go after my daughters, he's going to go after me, and he's going to go after me in very very subtle ways. Practically, I would say he would try to come after me and say, "Hey, it's okay for you know your kid to watch just about anything on TV. Come on, don't let a don't you know let them watch this stuff. Let them listen to this. Let them let them partake and and go over to people's houses and and, and stay the night you know with certain friends. Even though there might not we not you know allow certain things, they might allow certain things. You know, don't be that parent. Don't be a helicopter. Don't be this hovering you know parent." That's how the enemy, I believe, works in us as parents, as leaders of our home for the next generation, for the younger generation to simply put in these kind of things. He's not going to just come into our lives, not knocking on the door with a, you know, with a trident and like trying to attack us. The enemy is going to come in very subtly and try to, you know, present these and we're going to be seen as just, you know, hey, we're we're. We're just being too controlling. And I just want to encourage you like the Lord encourages me in all this. I'm not here to be my daughter's buddy. Now, I am their friend to some degree. But more than that, I, me and Sarah, Sarah and I, we are here to be their parents. We are here to be their father and mother. And there is nobody else in their life that can be their father and mother. Only we can do that. And so because of that, we have a responsibility to say, Yes and no to whatever we feel is godly or ungodly. Whatever we we track all that. We guard. We are the, we are the gatekeepers of our home and our children, and so we have to be very intentional about what they watch and what they listen to and who they're hanging out with and what what's going on. And so that is our responsibility as parents. And so simply put on that one, as the enemy pursues a younger generation, we have to make sure we are pursuing them that much more. And we cannot try to be their buddy. We have to we have to be their their father and mother. We have to be their parents more than we, more than we should be their buddy. Uh, the fourth method of the enemy is that he's always going to daily present nourishment that is ungodly. So the king assigned them, verse five, a daily ration of food from the wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. So the enemy is always going to present what is nourishment for them, what is going to sustain them. So the method of the enemy is that he will daily present nourishment that is ungodly. This is a challenge for Daniel, Hannah, Michelle, and Azariah because in Babylonian culture, food and wine was offered to idols before they ate it. This is a problem um, in culture as we see it uh, that our culture is going to present things to us as if these are the things that nourish you. These are the things that sustain you. These things that are offered up to idols um, as worship, these are the things that sustain you. So verse 6 and 7 is very interesting as we look at the last method of the enemy. Um, verse 6 in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of the staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. So Daniel was called Belta 
Shazar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Michelle was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. And so it's very interesting because I don't know about you, but I grew up in Sunday school and I was taught that it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like that was their names. But these were the names that the Babylonian culture gave God's people. Their real names are Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. So this is what their names mean. So Daniel's name was meant God is my judge, but his name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects life or this idol protects life. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Hananiah means Lord shows grace. Shadrach means moon god. So this other idol. Uh, Michelle name means who is equal to God. And And his name was changed to Meshach, which means who is this? Azariah's name means the Lord helps. And Abednego means God of wisdom or morning star. Again, another idol. So last method of the enemy, the fifth method of the enemy is this. The enemy will always change your name in attempt to change your identity. The enemy is always going to try to change our name, how we speak of ourselves to change our identity. And isn't it interesting that they gave them that these are actually idol names of idols. And that is so what we see in our culture. And what I mean is the enemy wants us to have a name an idol name for ourselves to accrue for ourselves worship unto our name. And we see that in the social media realm of our world and how everything is so self-driven. This is about me. And this is about everything that's my truth and what I feel and what you should call me. And it's just about me. And it's not about something above me or something greater than me or something transcendent, but it's very self-centered. I mean, I think we could all agree across all kinds of different platforms that we live in a very self-centered world. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to change our name, to change our identity, to make it about us. The Babylonian staff there took these Jewish men, gave them idol names, and that's exactly what we see in our life. We, we, our name is being changed to take it off of this thing about God and to make it about us. Um, the enemy can change our name, but only God can change who we are. I mean, you can, you can allow culture and all those kind of things to change what we call ourselves and how we communicate about ourselves, but only God can change who we are. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people changing their names and But what they're really trying to do is change who they are. And only God can do that. And now culture can call us whatever they want to, but God has already decided who we are. Isaiah 43, 1 affirms that. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. So as we continue in chapter one, I'm going to give you now five methods of the godly. So verse number eight, Daniel chapter one, but Daniel was determined. So the first method of the godly is this determination. 
Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods, these food, this food and wine that was presented to idols. So number one, the one, number one method of the godly is determination. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. And now we see in James 1.12, affirms as God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. 1 Corinthians 16.13, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Romans 12, verses 11 through 12, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Psalm 119, verse 28. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. It's interesting that we see there in verse 9. And it's the second point or the second method of the godly. And that is this. God will grant us respect and affection from those that matter most. So the chief of staff... For King Nebuchadnezzar had great respect and affection for Daniel. And for us as the godly, God will grant us respect and affection from those that matter most. So verse 10 in Daniel chapter 1, he responded, I'm afraid of my of my Lord, the king who has ordered you that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youth your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with his attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I love that, that their names have changed, but we see in Scripture even after that, they know who they are. Don't let anybody change your name. Only God only God claims your identity and defines your identity. Verse 12, please test us, Daniel said, for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. I don't know about you, but that sounds awful. I'm going to need some tater tots up in there. I'm going to need some burgers, some ribs, some brisket, some ribeyes. Come on, somebody. And so Daniel says, hey, test us for ten after 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the younger men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Daniel was essentially saying, don't just take my word for it. But look at my life, look at my countenance, that this is a better way. So in verse 14, the attendants agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three homies, his three friends, looked healthier and better nourished than the young man who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. So the third method of the godly is God's way will endure the test of time and ultimately remain the better way. Our way will just endure the test of time. It has throughout thousands of years of all the things that the people of God from the beginning of time up until this point has endured the test of time always proven to be the better way. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. So fourth, the fourth method of the godly is this. Faithfulness will grant us an unusual amount of favor. 
faithfulness, these guys being determined, these guys being faithful, granted them unusual amount of favor. And I think a lot of times we, even in the kingdom, we are trying to gain favor. We're trying to gain influence. We are on our own trying to force our way into certain realms of of authority and influence in our culture and maybe our job or our community, but it's faithfulness. It's faithfulness to who God's named us, who he's called us to be, what we're taking in as our daily sustenance. Those things grant us unusual amount of favor and influence. We don't work for it. God gives us that. And you can look throughout the book of Proverbs of all the different times we see favor, how God gives, there's, there's favor from the Lord um, because of man being good, because of, of making good decisions, of just being wise and, and reframing from things that are ungodly. And, and so in verse 18, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, which was a three-year period, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, so they entered the royal service. When the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. So lastly, point number five, method of the godly. The fifth method of the godly is this. When humanity consults a corrupted culture in contrast to the godly, the godly should be found 10 times more capable. Too often, we are pointing out how corrupt culture is rather than exhibiting a culture that is 10 times better. For all generation, from generation to generation, there is a cycle of sin. There's There are cycles that that generations go through, but there's also this everlasting promise from God that we can abide in from generation to generation. And the book of Daniel, as I kind of close, uh, teaches us these three resolutions, right? To be faithful, to be faithful and hopeful in all circumstances. Number one, number one of the three solutions is this. Number one, to be faithful and hopeful in all circumstances. Number two is that God will give us unusual knowledge, wisdom, and favor. And then lastly, number three, when we stand for God, God stands with us. Be faithful and hopeful in all circumstances, number one. Number two, God will give us unusual knowledge, favor. Number three, when we stand for God, God will stand with us. Um, it's interesting when you think about the word of God the, or the bread of presence in the tabernacle and the temple. Um, you know, in the beginning, God spoke, you know. We hear it a lot, you know, actions speak louder than words. Well, words words are pretty powerful too. And, and, and when God created, he spoke. And when you and I speak and we allow God to speak to us, it's a very powerful thing. And I don't think it's coincidence that God connects his word to the bread of presence, that it is the thing that sustains us. I can prove that because in John 6, 35, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. And the Word gave life 
to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. And that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never extinguished it. Man, I got to share this story. It's traumatizing. But just a few weeks ago, I had one of the worst Monday mornings of my life. We had a weekend trip where I went and officiated a wedding, got back, and it was Monday morning taking Juby to school. And we had, I had had, um, we had had dresses and suits on this, on hangers, hanging over um, a recliner in our living room. And we're just in our morning routine, getting ready. I'm getting ready to take Juby to school. And I'm in the garage, just kind of moving some things around. I had a little time before we were about to take, well, I was about to take her to school. And I heard a scream I don't ever want to hear again in my entire life. Juby just had this scream. And I thought, oh, my gosh, something terrible has happened. I mean, like, it's a scream I've never heard before. I don't ever want to hear again. And then I hear Sarah shouting, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, really loudly. And I I didn't know what I was going to walk into. Um, and as I walked into the living room, Sarah is on her knees holding Juby, her face, Juby's holding her face, holding one of her eyes and crouched down. And Sarah's just looking at me saying, I'm holding her. I haven't looked, but she ran and one of those hanger hooks, metal hanger hooks got in her eye and I haven't looked at it. Um, but that's what happened and just both just like hysterical, just freaking out. And so I'm just like trying to be the calm. I'm like, okay, Hey, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We're gonna be okay. It's okay. It's okay. Trying to calm him down. And, 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 and Juby's just screaming and crying. And, um, so she's got her head buried in Sarah's chest and she's just holding her right eye. I'm like, okay, okay, let me see. Let me check it out. And so she kind of leans back and she removes her hand and there's just blood coming from inside her, from inside her eye. So there's nothing marked on the outside of her eye, but it's coming from the inside of her eye. And so at that moment, as a father, I knew my daughter essentially just gouged her eye, eye eyeball. And she's probably going to be one eye for the rest. I mean, these are all thoughts immediately come to mind. So we get to the, we get to the ER, we, they run the test, everything. I'm texting people to pray and, you know, we're going to make it, you know, we're just trying to calm. Juby gets calmed down. We get her to the ER Long story short, Juby's completely fine. Her her eye's completely okay. The the metal hook had actually went into her eye, but just scratched along the inside of her eyelid, not her actual eyeball. Now it kind of you know her eyeball actually took a pretty good hit from the metal hook, but then it just went um, inside the eyelid and just kind of scratched it. There was going to be some scar tissue, but the doctor said, "Hey, she's going to be fine." It was a close one though. They said if there was going to be any more harder of a hit to her eyeball, we would be probably having a totally different um, discussion right now. And so um, God was good that day. But then then we went home the same day um, after being in the ER for a couple hours and they ran all their tests and, you know, sent her home. She's going to be good. It's going to be sore. It's going to be swollen. It's going to be discolored, but it looks like she's going to be fine. She can see and read. And the whole day, man, Juby was just, um, man, she was just captivated by fear. I mean, she was just sleeping the whole day, holding her eye the whole day, you know, I mean, she was like, can we put all the hangers up, you know, are all the hangers put up? I mean, she was just terrified. And um, man, and in that moment, when all that went down, all I wanted was for my daughter's right eye to be better. I didn't care for anything else, anything else, nothing mattered. And uh, by the end of the day, Juby started feeling a little bit better. And um, sure enough, we're going through our nighttime routine. 
and she comes to me with her Bible and says, Dad, can you just read me some stories from the Bible? And she's holding her eye, and she's got her Bible in the other hand, and she crawls up in my lap, and we must have read, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 stories from the Bible. And usually she wants to read like a story from the Bible and then maybe read something else. But we just kept reading stories, and we were reading just story after story, you know, Jesus doing miracles, Elijah and Elisha, the healing of Naaman, Jesus at the temple when he's 12 years old. And it was just a picture to me of how, of just when she was in this desperate moment of fear, the end of the day, she wanted to get in her dad's lap and just hear, she just wanted to hear the word of God. And it was a testimony to me that when we are in traumatizing moments in our life, when we have been hurt, when we have been wounded, when we are in a dark moment or season, it should be our automatic response to just crawl up in God's lap with his word and just say, God, would you just, would you just speak to me? Would you just read the word? Man, I'm terrified. I'm in fear. I'm scared. I'm hurting. I've been wounded. Would you speak to me? And friend, if you're listening, I don't know what you're going through. All I know is that that was an anchor moment for me. Um, I was good. I was fine. But man, that moment taught me a lot to see that from my daughter, um, to see her response in that moment. And I, I'm doing a, me and Sarah are doing a lot of things to teach our daughters. I can tell you right now, there's a lot of things our daughters are teaching us in these kind of moments. And, um, and I believe that as parents that, man, if, if God has given us eyes to see and ears to hear, he's going to speak to us in very, very um, peculiar ways. And so I want to encourage you in that. Go to God. He's the bread of life. Go to his word. Um, and when you don't know what else to do, crawl up in his lap with a blanket, a cup of coffee, whatever, in his word. Turn the audio Bible on. Whatever you got to do, just let his word wash over you. Um, and thank you so much for tuning in. And um, again, don't ever forget, a good start envisions the end result.